day when Jesus was born. Our passage predates the coming of Jesus, the, the baby boy, by just a few months. And in short, this, this visiting sunrise we're going to look at, it's much more glorious, it's much more awe-inspiring, it's much more helpful and, and life-giving than a mere actual sunrise, as beautiful as they are. And so I would argue, my point, my thesis today is simply, this visiting sunrise that is described in our passage is the sunrise that, that you can't live without, that I can't live without, if we are actually to discover and realize and know why we exist and why we have a pulse and why we're here, why we're here on this planet. That's the visiting sunrise we really know. Let me give you some quick context to the, the pre-Christmas passage we're looking at from Luke chapter 1. Long story short, uh, in this passage, we have a priest of God whose name is Zechariah. And he's an elderly gentleman. And he is visited uh, during his priestly duties as he's in the temple. And he's visited with this angel of the Lord who comes to give him a message. And this angel tells him that he and his elderly wife, they're going to have a baby boy. You see, they've never been able to have kids up until that point. But they're going to have a baby boy in their old age. Well, Zechariah, he's getting up there. And we would all have doubts just like he would have doubts. And he doubts the words from the angel. He's like, really? Ain't going to happen? But God, through the angel, he actually chastises and disciplines Zechariah in that moment for doubting the word of God. And therefore, as a result, Zechariah is unable to speak, which was probably a joyous occasion for his wife. He can't talk anymore, and he can't talk for several months, but this is part of his discipline from God, and he can't speak until the day when who is born? John the Baptist, his son. Then he can talk. God's timing is beautiful. It's actually kind of humorous in some ways. And just as God brings his discipline towards Zechariah to a close, what happens to Zechariah in that moment? In Luke chapter 1, we see God, the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, fills Zechariah in that moment, and he speaks and he launches into this beautiful, prophetic uh, song that was recorded for us in Luke chapter 1. And this song, it's beautiful, it's, it's breathtaking. It's all about how his own son, John the Baptist, is coming, and he's come, and he's come, why? To fulfill Old Testament prophecy and really prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. And for the sake of brevity, I want to focus on just a few verses uh, from this beautiful song of Zechariah's here, uh, verses 76 to 79. And in short, here is what God tells us through Zechariah. Let me paraphrase. John the Baptist came as the Most High's prophet to do what? Again, to go before the Lord. Uh, the Lord being Jesus, prepare the people of God for the coming of God and the ways of Jesus to give them what? To give them what? He says, to give them knowledge of salvation, to know how to be saved from their sins, and which would otherwise, those sins would condemn them to hell. He's coming to save them from the, their sins. He's coming to, to give them forgiveness for their sins and then to show them the tender mercy of God. Here is God making a way for God and his people to come together and receive full and free and total forgiveness for all their sins from this coming Christmas child. Then Zechariah sings about the visiting sunrise, which we'll talk about later. In juxtaposition, I want to begin to, to talk about something before the sunrise. That is 
darkness, those who sit in darkness and the consequent shadow of death. So darkness and death go together, according to Scripture. If you're, you remember uh, that fishing story I shared from before, I got to say, if you try to fish in the dark, I think there's some country band that had a song called Fishing in the Dark. I don't want to talk about that right now. But fishing in the dark is a very dangerous enterprise, if you've ever tried it. Please don't. If you fish in the dark, you can't see what's going on. The hook on your fishing lure is very sharp if you're doing it right. And in the dark, if you are throwing that fishing hook around and trying to cast it around, um, you can't see anything. If you're not careful, the only thing that you will catch with your sharp fishing hook in the dark is like your nose, a nostril, or you know your ear, or an earlobe, or even worse, your wife's earlobe if you're fishing with your wife, at which point... You can kiss your fishing career goodbye, possibly your marriage. Uh, you don't want to hook your, fish, your wife's ear trying to fish in the dark. My point is, fishing in the dark is dangerous, okay? Don't do it. Fishing in the dark is dangerous. But you know what? So is living in the dark. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. Spirit, we're talking of, about spiritual darkness. Look how the Strong's Concordance translates this Greek word for darkness in our passage. And it says... So there's three possible definitions of of darkness here. Of night darkness, that's what we're talking about with the story. Of darkened eyesight or blindness, so you can be blind, you can't see, that's dark. And then here's the third key definition of spiritual darkness. Of ignorance respecting divine things and human duties and the accompanying ungodliness and immorality together with the consequent misery in hell. Clearly, the meaning of of darkness that Zechariah uses in this passage is speaking of that third definition there. Spiritual darkness. It is dangerous stuff, and it happens, and you are living in it when you ignore. You're shutting the the door to God, turning blinders towards God, and you don't want to listen to God. You want to ignore Him. You don't want to um, take responsibility for living life His way as opposed to your own way. And as a result, ignoring God, shutting God out, it leads to you, you choosing by your own choice, living a life apart from God, living by your own rules, living an un- ungodly life, living a life of, of, of immorality. And that results in eternal misery in the end, and, and that's, that's hell. You don't, that's the worst possible outcome for living your life. You don't want that. Don't want that. Years ago, I remember as a younger man, I was living, breathing, drinking, ingesting darkness, spiritual darkness. And deep down, as I was in that place of spiritual darkness, I could taste it. I could kind of taste it. And the taste was not good. It was a taste of, of futility and a taste of, of hopelessness. And I, that's the, the darkness I was swimming in. And, and, and it felt toxic. And it was ugly. It was miserable. It was no good. But you know what? Was that the end of my story with God? Was, was my life going to be defined by living in spiritual darkness, defined by immorality, defined by self-sufficiency, living in my own power, my, by my own rules, uh, living in a place of misery? That, no, that was not the end of my story. Thanks be to God. Not long ago, um, I don't know where I heard it. I think I heard it from the Avengers Endgame film. I'm kind of embarrassed to say but there's a line in the movie, if you've seen it, and it struck me as so profound, and I'm like, they're stealing truth from the Bible in the endgame. It's amazing. And the phrase from endgame, I think, was something like, 
After the darkness comes the dawn. After the darkness comes the dawn, comes the sunrise. And you see, our Maker, God, the Creator of the universe, was not satisfied to leave you or me or any of us on our own, living our own sinful, autonomous lives, being left in spiritual darkness. He was not okay with that. (laughs) We were not made to be living in spiritual darkness. We were not designed to live outside of a relationship and friendship with God. We were not made to live independently from God. No, we were made to be dependent upon God, to be in relationship with God. But here we are isolated from God. What does God do? He intervenes. He intervenes. And what does he do? On that first Christmas day, he sends his son Jesus, the God-man. God puts on flesh like you have flesh on in this moment. Jesus put on flesh as God the Son, and he was born Christmas Day 2,000 years ago. And on that first Christmas Day, the dawn came after the darkness. The dawn came. The sunrise named Jesus visited us from heaven. Thanks be to God. Incredibly, look how Jesus describes himself later as an adult. John chapter 8, verses, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <coughs> Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows Jesus will no longer walk in darkness, but will enjoy soul-satisfying light and life in their lives. There actually is a sermon outline in your bulletin as I'm, I'm starting to land the plane here. And if you have a, a desire to fill in those blanks, here's your moment. You're going to have to write furiously to, to get all the blanks at once. So bear with me. But what we have here in our notes and outline is really a list of blessings uh, and gifts that come to you when you place your, trust, your confident trust in Jesus. Number one, the sunrise, the Christ child, brings us A, salvation, B, forgiveness of sins, C, tender mercy of God. If your view of God is that he just wants to, he just wants to wreck you and destroy you, and cast you out. That's not God's intent whatsoever. He is a God filled with tender mercy for you, for everyone that will turn to Him. D, we receive a gift of a visit from God Himself. E, light and life. And then F, guidance towards peace. That is shalom. Now what did Jesus as the light of the world, as our visiting sunrise, what did He do to bring about all of these good things and blessings to us, this salvation to us, Let me just share with you the gospel. Here's what Jesus did to save and transform us and change us. Save us from ourselves. Here's what he did. He came, and he came on that first Christmas day. He then became an adult, and then during his adult life, and life as a child even, he lived our perfect, obedient life for us in our place. Because I can't do that. You can't. None of us can do that. But he lived perfectly for us in our place because we could not. Later, at the end of his life, Jesus died on the cross for our sins as our perfect sacrifice. He lived perfectly and only He alone could be the perfect sacrifice to satisfy the wages of sin, which is death for us. And He wore your sins, He wore my sins, all of our sins were placed upon Jesus at the cross, and then on that cross Jesus was judged, and He died for us, for you, for me. But three days later, the dawn came. The dawn came after the darkness. And the way in which the dawn came was when Jesus rose up from the dead. And in so doing, he defeats Satan, sin, and death forevermore. 
And now anyone, 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 the offer is open to anyone, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, no matter how deep in darkness you might be today, anyone can be saved. Anyone can be forgiven. Anyone can receive forgiveness of sins, this tender mercy of God, this visit from God himself in the form of his Holy Spirit, can receive light and life, can receive guidance towards the way of peace and shalom and completeness. It's there, it's there, it's there for the taking. So let me just close with this appeal. If, if you're not yet a Christian, the appeal is simply, will you open up your empty hands of faith? You've got nothing to offer God but just being open to receive, just being humble enough to admit that you're a sinner before our holy God. Open your empty hands of faith. Don't try to offer God anything. It doesn't work that way. You just come with nothing but yourself and your open and empty hands of faith. And you place your faith in the gospel. You believe in this Jesus I've described. You repent of your sins. You admit, I'm a sinner. And then you are baptized by your own choice as Jesus was. I'm just saying, come to Jesus Today, if you're new to this Christianity thing, the offer of forgiveness is right there. Let me speak to you Christians as I finally close this message after threatening to do so uh, multiple times. Christian, you know, some of you, I know, you're dabbling in, in darkness. You're, dab you're getting tangled up in sin. You're getting tangled up in addiction in all of its various forms and kinds. I think a lot of us are getting tangled up in self-righteousness and thinking that we're better than we actually are. You know, that's something I battle and struggle with. And I'm just saying, here's the Christmas season. Here's our chance. Here's our opportunity to come to come back to the light of the world and renew our relationship with Jesus. Let Jesus shine his light onto the, those dark corners and dark rooms that are within our heart that require changing, that he wants us to, to be freed from and saved from. So let's together repent of our sins as we Come to the Lord's table today in this time of communion and just reconnect, reconnect with this visiting sunrise this Christmas. Would you pray with me as we bring this to a close? Thank you, Jesus, for coming to visit us, the ultimate Christmas gift. You bring salvation. You bring tender mercy from God. You bring forgiveness of all our sins. And it only happens because of what you did for us in your life, death, and resurrection. We're so grateful. That's why we come to remember the gospel. That's why we celebrate this memorial meal, to remember and celebrate and confess our sins to you as we partake of this meal and just honor you through it. Uh, through Christ we pray. Amen.